0: Hey there, hope you enjoyed this episode with James Carberry. If you do, we actually have an updated episode of where he is in his business today. That's Patreon episode 19. So you can hear how his business has evolved over the last three years. So check out Patreon episode 19 again if you wanna hear an update on where James is with his story. And it's another hour long interview for you. So you have plenty of update information and see how businesses like his evolve over time.
1: If you'd asked me that question six months ago, I'd have rattled off a ton of different tools. And the audience for this, being of a younger entrepreneur, a valuable lesson to learn early in your career is just the value of your name. James Carberry. I'm the founder of Sweetfish Media, which is a podcast agency for B2B brands. I'm also the co-host of a podcast called B2B Growth.
0: How did you get into what you do today?
1: <laughs> a long, long, long story that I will try to abbreviate, but basically I started a podcast several years ago called Inspiring Awesome. And we were just interviewing people that we thought were making the world a better place. And I uh, realized pretty early on that it was really easy to find guests for the show because who doesn't want to be featured on a podcast? I had started my own business. We were a done-for-you blog writing service at the time and realized that podcasting from a business development perspective was a really smart strategy because if I started a podcast and asked all of my you know would-be clients to be a guest on that show, I could uh, create a value first relationship where I gave them value on the front end and then nurture that relationship into a closed deal. And so uh, parlayed that into, into what we now do, which is produce these shows for our clients, help our clients become contributors at large publications like Inc. and Forbes, and then allow them to leverage that, the value that they can provide the market to create really strategic relationships for their business. How many shows do you produce? We've got probably about 25 clients right now that we're producing shows for. And then we've got a handful of our own shows that we produce. But B2B Growth is really the flagship show that it's a daily show, so we're investing a lot of resources into keeping that one up and going.
0: Can you tell us where you went to school and kind of where you've got today?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I went to University of Central Oklahoma. I got a business degree, and and if I hopefully nobody from UCO hears this because I literally learned absolutely nothing <laughs> yeah. from business school. I learned everything from actually doing and starting my own thing, and then allowing those experiences to shape kind of the steps that I take next. So yeah, so that's my little bit on the impact that college had on my journey. I went to
0: University of Florida and I'll say I went there and got my master's and I've learned three times more just through YouTube and figuring out
1: other stuff than everything else combined. Exactly. It's crazy, man. It'll it'll be interesting. With There's that organization called Mission U that is basically not charging anything up front for college. They're taking you through like a one-year intensive program. And then on the back end, they're helping you get jobs at companies like Google, Uber, these massive tech companies. And then they're taking a percentage of your salary for the first three years that you're at the company. They're making their money on the back end and mitigating the risk of the investment of college tuition And so it'll be interesting, like as more disruptors come into that space, what happens with higher ed? I definitely heard about that.
0: You said you're in Orlando today. So did
1: you just from UCO go to Orlando? I moved to Orlando about seven years ago Uh, again. And this is a big part of why I'm so passionate about relationships and helping people create really strategic relationships. So my brother-in-law, his or not my brother-in-law, my roommate's brother-in-law won a sweepstakes back in 2008, I think and the sweepstakes was through all tell and he won an all expense trip to a professional football game of his choice and so he got to take himself and nine friends to the Giants Cowboys game in New York City and they chartered a private jet, flew all of us out to New York City so I was, I was in the group of 10 that got to go and uh, when we got there there was a guy named Jeff that was facilitating all the transportation for the event so he chartered the jet, he chartered the limo bus that took us around, he figured out the police escort that got us around the city, he went to the game with us later that night. We got to hang out with Barry Sanders, watched the game with him in a suite next to Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. It was like one of the most unreal days of my life. And as it turns out, Jeff, the guy that was doing all the logistics, actually owns the logistics company that Altel had hired for that sweepstakes. And so I hit it off with Jeff and, uh, and about a year later, he, uh, he called to offer me a job in Orlando doing helicopter logistics for NASCAR. Um, uh, a piece of their business was uh, solely devoted to NASCAR and, and getting the drivers in and out of the tracks via helicopters that we would charter. And his guy had left. And because I had created a relationship with him a year prior and, and maintained that relationship, I was at the top of his mind whenever he needed to fill that role. So he ended up moving me from Oklahoma out to Orlando. And that was really the first entrepreneur that I'd ever been around. That, you know, my relationship with him is really what spurred my own entrepreneurial journey and kind of the, the belief that I can I can go out on my own and do my own thing. What did you learn while you were there? Yeah, man, I mean, I think I, I learned... Uh, I think I learned a lot about just just having the platform of a business that had been around for 15 years and the flexibility to try to make that service better. and, And how can we how can we serve clients better? I was given a lot of autonomy around the finances of it. How can we structure our pricing differently? How can we... Uh, just, so so there, was a, there was a lot of autonomy there. But I, th- I think the biggest thing I learned was just getting to be a fly on the wall as Jeff made really high-level decisions. It was a smaller company. There were only 10 or 15 of us. And so he was pretty good about including us in a lot of the high-level decisions he was making. And so I think just getting to observe an entrepreneur operate a business firsthand just taught me a lot about you know he's he's not perfect by any means he made mistakes and I got to learn from those but he also you know made decisions that that resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. And so I I think just being able to observe how and how a successful entrepreneur thinks and processes decisions and handles communication was super valuable.
0: So you went from NASCAR helicopter guy to sweet fish media.
1: so, So I actually I had a little bit of a stair step in there. I left. Uh, at the end of 2000 and it was it the end of 2013? And, uh, and I went and worked for a, uh, a much larger technology company. I was doing implementation for them. That was where I really realized that doing the corporate thing was never going to be the route that I took, and so from there I, I left that, launched my own startup. My first startup it was a tech product called Worth Day, and it was really a tool built to uh, help enable people to plan really special days for the people in their life that they cared about, and and to allow their friends and family to participate in that day, kind of organizing an entire day of of awesome for for the person that they wanted to celebrate. And uh, that, that I ended up having some problems. Finding Finding a, a person that could actually build the product. So that was how I cut my teeth on figuring out how to market a product. I just needed the actual product to be <laughs> to be good and that was the problem that I struggled with. So that startup ended up failing and, uh, and then from there I ended up working at another tech startup doing biz dev and marketing for them and their funding dried up and as soon as that happened i, I thought you know what i can either uh I can either go and start my own thing uh, i had just gotten engaged at the time and so i thought man it, now is the time to to really go deep into entrepreneurship and try to build my own thing and so kind of leaning on the experience that i had from the previous tech startup where i was doing marketing and, and biz dev knew that that there was a need that marketing teams didn't have enough time to to execute on all of the things that they needed to execute on and so decided to build a service based business that is transformed into to what we're doing today so it wasn't a direct link between helicopter logistics and and podcast production but uh but that's the journey up to this point what's your team look like today uh, so right now we've got Uh, There are 11 of us, so we've got a writing team, we've got a graphic design team, we've got my business partner and I, my business partner is my brother-in-law. And, uh, he joined the team about a year and a half ago, moved from San Diego. He's an attorney and just kind of was, uh, was not happy with kind of the direction that his career was going. And so I uh, decided to jump on board with us. We've got a full-time account manager that manages uh, all of the kind of the day to day of the podcasts that we're producing for our clients. And, and so, yeah, so we're, we're lean and mean. We've got a, an, an audio engineer that takes ca- care of all the audio production. We've got some, uh, some VAs that handle a lot of the administrative work. Uh, getting getting all all the content published and uploaded at the right times and so that's that's what the team looks like today how do you make money yeah, so we charge companies to to produce podcasts for them i
0: mean what's that look like and how does someone like figure out find out about you
1: yeah, so we we really drink our own champagne in the sense of uh, we use our podcast as a biz dev tool. So if I, uh, if I see somebody that I think would be a great fit for our service, it's typically a VP of marketing or a chief marketing officer at a B2B company that has more than 50 employees, then I'll reach out. I'll ask them to be a guest on our podcast. Uh, and because I'm adding value first, I'm giving them an opportunity to share their message, share what they're passionate about with our audience. They typically say yes. And so we get them on the show. We we, we interview them, we allow them to share their expertise, make them look like rock stars. And then uh, within a couple of weeks after the interview, we reach out and say, hey, we'd love to produce a podcast for you guys. Uh, are you interested? And uh, and so we've really built our business on the back of that strategy.
0: What would you charge like in
1: this scenario for a company like that? Yeah, so we... we we just are we're in the middle of a pivot right now but right now we're charging $15,000 up front and so that uh that allows us to Produce a seven-episode series to kind of get the show launched, and then that also includes us helping uh, our guest become a, uh, or not our guest, our client become a contributor for for a larger business publication that aligns with the audience that they're trying to reach. So, and then beyond that, once that uh, first part of that engagement, this is sixty-day engagement, is uh, has ended, we transition into five thousand dollars a month for us to maintain a weekly podcast and a and their weekly column in the publication for them.
0: Do you ever get any pushback? What do people usually say after that, after you come to them and try to sell them on them being able to do a podcast?
1: Yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot of different reasons to push back. They either don't have budget for it. Or it's just not something that they're focused on right now. Uh, they may be in a season where they're putting more emphasis on their product and really getting their product right. And they're not as concerned with thought leadership and establishing their brand. And so, so that, that's a reason some, some companies just, you know, they've, they've already done their budget allocations for the quarter or for the, for the remainder of the year. And this just doesn't fit into that. So. There's, you know, one. I, I just over the last week, I've sent about 60 sales initiation emails and that's resulted in about Six sales calls, and of those, I, I think we'll be able to convert about three of those into uh, into new business. And so we'll just continue down that path. And that's uh, for for our lean and mean team. That's uh, that that is we're we're well on our way to to getting to the revenue goals that we want to hit.
0: When you started Sweetfish Media, did you have just podcasts in mind? Is this the only way you generate revenue?
1: No. So so when we first started the business, we were just it was a really a done for you blog writing service, and so I was doing a lot of content calls with our clients. We were recording their thoughts on different topics in their industry. And and then... From there, we would turn that audio content of my conversation with them. That it wasn't a podcast, it was just a recorded phone call, and our writing team would turn that into blog content. And about ten months into that model, our margins were just too thin. We weren't making enough money. And I didn't think that there was enough demand for us to charge any more for what we were doing. And so that's when we made the pivot to podcast production, much higher higher value service because it's a lot more involved, not a lot of people know how to do it. And so we really carved our niche in uh, in producing podcasts, charged more money, doubled our revenue that next year, and, uh, and now kind of with this next evolution of our service adding the component of you know making the podcast host a contributor for a large publication it's allowing us to up our pricing even more because we're delivering more value and uh, and so I expect to, to double our revenue again this year because of that so that's that's been the path that we've taken there
0: could you give us the name of some of those podcasts and tell yeah. us like what those podcasts are are like are they different for each client
1: yeah it's different for each client so we've got we've got a client that is a uh they're they're a learning and development platform. So they've basically built a product that learning and development executives would purchase. And so for them we we produce a show called the Chief Learning Officer. Podcast. It's the C, the the CLO show is the name of the show, and it's hosted by. He's actually not there anymore, but it was their former marketing director. And so for them, they use the show to break into the target accounts of the, you know these companies that they're trying to sell their product to. And so they've been able to interview some you know break into accounts that they otherwise would have never been able to break into because they came in by saying, "Hey, we want to feature you on the CLO show." And so they've talked to. I think it's like the the second in command at the NBA over all of learning and development, they've talked to, I think they've had conversations with folks at Home Depot. They've talked to the CLO at McDonald's. They've just had tremendous results with breaking into target accounts because of uh because of using they they become a media company and when you turn yourself into a media company you can approach your buyers as a journalist instead of as someone trying to sell them something so that's that's one use case we've got uh, we've got other uh, another show kind of similar to ours called the marketing executive where they're using it to break into you know not just B2B brands but B2C and B2B brands and marketing talking to marketing executives at those brands got another show called how to lose money and uh, the guy that hosts that show is a real estate investor. And so he's uh, he's trying to create relationships with potential investors. And so he's having them come on his show to talk about their failure stories and share the different ways that they've lost money uh, over the years. And uh, so it's really compelling content and it's simultaneously building his network with potential investors. So those are a few examples.
0: I'm glad you're able to catch up and see those old group calls and those are definitely helping. Yeah. And probably the most helpful one has been with a gal that did PR. Megan Bennett.
1: Yes. Yes. Like I listened to that whole thing with all the people's questions and her ideas. And I like how, you know, you got her to tell more stories than just the regular interview.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being a patron.
1: Uh, No worries, man. I I came across a podcast a few weeks ago and I definitely uh, enjoy them. So uh, I wanted to at least show my commitment and, at the amount that you uh it costs I, I wanted to go for the highest tier so
0: yeah well i appreciate that so were you just googling like a
1: looking for another podcast and yours popped up and i was like let me check this out and then you know i listened to one and i love how in depth and detail the first one i listened to was the uh, mining key guy
0: oh that was a good one that was a good one to start off with.
1: Yeah. yeah and <laughs> And I'm in the franchising, right? Okay, so, well, I'm in a franchise. I definitely, uh, it definitely was a good one to start off. And um, I like the questions that you ask. You know, you hold them to numbers, and so I think I've listened to maybe sixty in the last two weeks. Oh
0: wow! Yeah, so. you've been binging. As far as like episodes, what's been one of your favorite? The Mineki guy, Mineki. Yeah, you really did start <laughs> yeah. off with. I thought so yeah. too. I've been telling everyone yeah. how great that one was,
1: and 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 he's one of the main reasons I joined the Patreon. I was like, man, I gotta hear the end of his story. It took, <laughs> it took me a couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I gotta hear the end of his story.
0: So, if you want to hear that episode with Charles Bonfiglio, go check out episode one sixty-five. Do you sell them on? Hey, this is how I got you on, and those people—basically, all of them—are interview podcasts. It sounds like,
1: yeah. So, so a lot of them, a lot of them are people that we've had on the show. A lot of them are people that come inbound to us because they listen to our podcast. We're getting about forty to forty-five thousand downloads a month on B2B growth, which isn't crazy compared to a lot of podcasts out there, but it's also way more than average. And so, because we, we've got the volume in in the size of our own audience that's bringing us a pretty good amount of inbound leads but uh so so there's there's a couple different paths to finding us we also get you know, we've we got a pretty I've got a personally I've got a pretty active social presence so I'm very active on uh, on LinkedIn specifically. And so we got a lot, we got a lot of leads that come through that just by being active and present on, on platforms where my buyers are hanging out. So how long have you been doing the podcast? So we started it about 20 months ago. So we just episode 500 went live today, actually, and we started it in January of 2016. So less than two years in, uh, is, is when we started B2B growth.
0: And what would you say it's been like the most, obviously it's helpful to me, but maybe there's other people who want to like start their own podcast, you know, do it once a week, whatever. Yeah. Um, what's been most successful in trying to market it or, or get other people in there?
1: Yeah. So I, I think the biggest benefit for us has been the relationships that we've created with our guests. And so I think what I, what I see so many people not doing, you know, they, they expect to launch a podcast to get tons of listeners and then for those listeners to turn into clients. And that absolutely can happen. It's just, it's a long path to that happening. Um, we happen to rank for B2B in the iTunes ecosystem, which is how our show grew quicker than most shows are able to grow. But by focusing on who are the relationships, if, if, particularly if you if you're if you're a younger entrepreneur if you want to be an entrepreneur i'm always pushing people toward the b2b route because businesses are are you're much more likely to get to cash flow positive if you can get a few clients that can afford to pay you a few thousand bucks a month for your service and going b2c it's just so much harder to create a product that the masses will buy and to do that you obviously need to go the route of getting funding and all that stuff and i that's a very legitimate option. I just haven't gone that path. So my suggestion is go B2B, try to sell, try to come up with some sort of product or service that businesses can buy because their budgets are a lot bigger than than the average consumer. And and so that's what we've done. And, and so that tends to be my my suggestion to younger entrepreneurs as well. And when you do that, building a podcast in such a way where you can reach decision makers at those companies that you're trying to sell your product or service to and say, Hey, I want to feature you on my show, it just makes for a a much easier way to break in and create a relationship because you're adding value up front. So really branding the show around who that what that guest persona looks like, whether that's a chief learning officer or a, you know, chief marketing officer or a content marketing. Director, you know, whoever it is that you're trying to sell to, build the brand of the show around that persona and then go and ask those people to be guests on your show and don't so much worry about building a massive listener base cuz it just it's it's going to take you a while to get there but if you're getting the instant benefit of those relationships that you're creating from the get that's going to keep you motivated to keep doing the show and it's in the longevity in putting out episode after episode after episode that you're going to see success from a listener perspective as well but that doesn't happen immediately so I think if you can nail the branding Start getting the right guests on your show, guests that can actually buy your service or your product. Then uh, that's, I think, the the biggest benefit you're going to get from it, at least in the short term.
0: Did all this kind of happen by accident when you started doing your first podcast?
1: Yeah, so I, I I had zero. I mean, I'd never done a podcast before. I listened to Entrepreneur on Fire from uh, from John Lee Dumas and would just loved what he was doing with entrepreneurs, and and he was a big source of inspiration for me getting started. And I thought, man, this is great for. Entrepreneurs, but what about the person that's not necessarily an entrepreneur and they just want, you know, maybe they're a stay at home mom or maybe they're a teacher or maybe you know, they're a corporate guy, they need inspiration too. And so that was kind of the genesis for the idea. And again, going back to not learning anything from business school, I learned from doing, from starting that podcast, taking the action and actually making it happen. I think we only did like 55 episodes or something like that, which looking back on it now after having a show that has 500 episodes live, you know, 55 is like, we do that in less than two months. And so, it, but, but putting in that work taught me that this is actually a really valuable way to create relationships with people that can buy my thing. And so uh, to say I fell into it would probably be a pretty accurate statement. But I, I think the lesson there is you just have to do. And and by doing, you're, you're going to learn some things. And I think the thing that I've excelled at is doing and then learning and then not being afraid to pivot. I mean, we've pivoted our service offering four times in less than three years. And every time we've done it, our growth has doubled. And so not being glued to your business model has been such a valuable lesson that I've learned. Well, could you talk about those
0: pivots from like the first one to, I guess you said there's been three of them.
1: Yeah, there's been, there's actually been four of them. So the first pivot was the service offering itself. So we went from writing blog posts for businesses kind of saving them the time of actually writing the content. And so through that, we built up a a writing team of writers that were doing this for us. And so uh, from there, we pivoted into podcast production, which was a massive pivot. In the podcast production realm, we thought we were going to be selling to sales executives, realized they were not responsive to that. Every time they heard what we actually did to create the relationships for them, they're like, oh, that's a marketing thing. So, uh, so heard that for about six months, I was probably a little bit too bullheaded on making the shift over to selling to marketing. Cause I was just convinced that sales executives would get more value out of the service, but we finally decided to make that pivot. So that was pivot number two into selling to marketing. And then from there, I guess it has been, uh, I guess it has been three pivots because that third pivot has now been from selling just the podcast production to now selling More comprehensive thought leadership. And so adding the component of our service where we're making someone a contributor for a larger publication in addition to the podcast production. So each pivot has kind of each service offering pivot has just added to the, what we were already doing. So we were already writing blog posts. Then we started producing podcasts in addition to turning those podcasts into blog posts. And now we're turning people into contributors for publications, in addition to producing their podcast and writing writing their their content for them. So it's been, kind of been a compounding effort. But then there was also a shift in who we sold to in there as well. So it's kind of the the evolution of, of all of the pivots.
0: So how much were you charging at first? Because it said like it sounded like you're barely
1: getting by at first, yep. and
0: then you started making money more with the second pivot, and now it sounds like it's
1: really taken off. Yeah. So so we started charging uh, hundred and twenty five dollars per blog post. And, uh, and that was, you know, we had lots of clients, but compared to what we have now, but they just wasn't, each client was only paying us a, a few hundred bucks a month. And it was just really, really hard to make that work. And part of that was my own ignorance, just not knowing really what companies would be willing to pay for quality content and not believing that i could provide a service that was worth any more than 125 bucks a blog post and then just through experience learning that that companies budgets can afford a lot more than what we were charging and realizing that the service that we were offering was worth far more than what we were charging so having building up over time building up that confidence to confidently charge now, what I feel is is much more aligned to our worth. Uh, do you do any ads in your podcast? Yeah, so uh, we've we've had a couple sponsors that have that have come on board. It's not a it's not a core part of our business model as all, at all. Um, with us only getting you know forty to forty five thousand downloads a month, that's really not enough to justify big sponsors coming in and you know totally changing the game from a revenue perspective. It would maybe add you know a thousand or so dollars to our revenue every month, and so. I've just struggled to put a lot of focus and emphasis on building out that part of our business until we have enough listeners to really add more value to sponsors so we've we've done it a couple times but it's not something that we're that we've uh, we've done a whole lot
0: no, that makes sense I mean I was just saying that I think the core cool is and we talked about on the pre-interview is I didn't even think about this way at first even when i started doing this podcasting is like how easy it is to get in touch with these people and actually i had a similar experience when I was back in college when I was graduating and actually doing my master's I'd have three days off during the week and I just go travel to either orlando Jacksonville or um, Tampa and just go basically interview with guys who are in the commercial real estate field because that's what I wanted to do. And it was much easier to get in there because I'm just coming in there talking to them about what they do and I'm a student. So it's actually kind of a similar thing what, what I'm doing via podcasting just
1: opened up so many doors yeah it really did and and that's that's something that I think from what I understood from our, from our pre-interview the audience for this being kind of a younger entrepreneur I think that's just such a, a valuable lesson to learn early 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 in your career is just the value of your network and strategically building your network. And the fact that we have technology that can enable us to do it on such a grander scale than, you know, 15 years ago when you used to have to go to networking meetings and that my personality doesn't really lend itself to that type of environment. We go to conferences, my business partner and I go to conferences and I just like, I'm so uncomfortable in that setting where i'm like oh, I, I, like meet a bunch of strangers and glad hand people and my business partner thrives in that environment he's the life of any party he steps into and people just instantly love him and that's just not like i'm much i get much more energy and i'm excited much more by one-on-one interactions and the fact that I can sit from my living room and do nine podcast interviews with chief marketing officers at large companies uh, <laughs> from my living room that's exponentially growing my network network. With very strategic people that can ultimately buy our service. And I don't have to go and glad hand people at a conference or go to a networking meeting. Like, I just, it's it's so crazy. Like, what technology has enabled us to do from a relationship building standpoint.
0: The one thing why I did bring up the advertising thing, because I think it's so smart to think of it B2B instead of B2C, because I never even thought of the listener as like the C, but you're right. I mean, B2B businesses are just much more solid and like easier to deal with. Yeah. But with the advertisements, is I read, oh, well, I got. I guess I was on one of the – speaking of YouTube where I've learned everything. One guy basically launched his podcast and was giving away free advertisement spots just so if people would go ahead and spread it on social media. Which yeah. I thought was kind of smart just because – Super I mean, smart. Yeah, because you can't get any advertisements on there with, when you have zero downloads in the first few months anyhow. And then no. hopefully you get some engagement and you're that you're just hitting another angle where someone's appreciating that and you're helping them out too. Yep. So.
1: Exactly. That's that's actually a really smart move that I hadn't thought about is just giving away sponsor sponsorships to incentivize those teams to share it that's,
0: that's me that's me trying to help you uh, yeah dude i've studied so much on the podcasting i came across that and i was like damn i've not heard of that i think <laughs> that was pretty
1: smart so i was just like i'll go ahead and start to try that gary v talks a lot about adding like giving away like not being not being so fancy to think that you as a young entrepreneur that hasn't really built anything of so, you know that much significance yet to think like oh my time is worth you know a thousand dollars an hour or you know whatever and he's like if you gave away your your product or your service. To a, a handful of people that you would really want to work with, and like you allow yourself to prove the value of what you're bringing to the table, people will end up paying you for it. But, but you make the barrier of entry so high by charging what you feel like you're worth or, you know, whatever. And so that strategy that you just shared is, I think, a perfect illustration of giving something away. And then if, if those people get value from advertising on your podcast, and your audience grows, you now have a relationship with them to go back and sell them that same advertising spot to an audience that's built over time.
0: Just kind of add in one more person to that interview that you're already doing, and then hopefully you're helping them out. What's been the hardest part about everything you've done? And can we talk about some of the mistakes and things that have happened while you built this podcast that you didn't expect other than the relationships, but where you tried one thing out, it didn't work or something that you tried out and it worked really well and you
1: yeah. had no idea. Yeah, man. So, uh, So, man, there have been so many mistakes. I think uh I'm trying to think is it is it particular are are you wanting something particularly around the podcast itself or around our business either or um uh... I think a mistake that we, uh, a mistake that we made. I think going back to kind of that first pivot and realizing that we needed to pivot from selling to sales executives to selling to marketers. I, I look back on that and go, man, I wish we should have made that pivot two months in instead of six months in. Uh, another thing that I've learned is I was really good at building the relationship, getting someone to be a guest on the show. But I am only recently starting to become confident enough to actually engage a sales conversation with the guests that I've had on the show. And so I think there was a lot of fear and feeling like, People were going to think that I was baiting and switching them. And the reality is that's just not the case. Like You either have a product or service that people want to buy or you don't. And if you've added value first, you've created that relationship by featuring them on your show or featuring them in an article that you wrote or a book that you wrote or whatever, then they're going to be willing to hear you out. And so just having the audacity to make your offer to them was a big lesson for me because the the exact month that I just kind of got over it and was like, "You know what? I'm going to ask a lot of these people that we've we've had on our show these last few months. I'm just going to go to them and and say, "Hey, like I think you guys would benefit greatly from having a podcast. Would you be up for it. And we did our highest month and uh, you know our highest revenue month was that month. And so it's directly correlated to to me kind of almost practicing what, I, what I'd been preaching. And for so long, I'd been preaching this model of go out and build these relationships and then see if they want to buy your thing. I was doing the first half of that really well. I was not doing the second half of it well at all. And I think building system and process around making it a consistent effort so that now every week I'm sending, you know, forty-five sales initiation emails, engaging sales conversations with my network, making that a part of my routine has been a massive lesson learned. And had I had I been doing this for the last year and a half, our business would be significantly bigger because of it.
0: Well, I mean, I think in general it's gonna just go up because all tides are rising with the podcast market, it seems
1: like, as far as growth
0: in general. And you had mentioned like the the marketing executive, the CLO podcast, the how to lose money podcast. I mean, I'm thinking of all of this from just a business perspective. Is there any other type of industries or do you have any other ideas on different types of podcasts that this would work for?
1: And I think a local business would actually benefit greatly from doing this. I think if, say, an insurance provider, somebody that does insurance, I think a financial advisor that's selling to his local market. I just talked to a guy, he is an exceptional salesperson, and he wants to focus on helping kind of local-based businesses e- enable their sales teams to sell better. And, and so that's what kind of got me thinking about this. But there are so many businesses that thrive on local relationships. And I think if a company or a brand like a, like a financial advisor or an insurance broker who sells locally, if they can become the media company for their town just by interviewing business owners, successful people in the area and having those people share their stories. We actually started this. We started a podcast called Orlando Success and it was actually one of our our sales strategies that we tried part of our go-to-market. Our first, uh, it's actually our second salesperson that we hired. We were like, hey, we're going to develop this show for you and, uh, and you go out and interview local people in Orlando that have been successful and then we'll see if we can turn those guests into clients and he ended up moving on before we could really see if if that was a fruitful experiment but i just i think if if somebody's willing to play the long game with it i know somebody actually in Marietta Georgia that's doing it he produces videos for companies and he's going around and interviewing all the different business owners in Marietta, Georgia. And, uh, and I see him on social and he's crushing it. He sent me an email the other day. He was, or a uh, Facebook message the other day. And he was like, Hey man, like just closed my first deal with somebody that I met through the podcast. This strategy is awesome. Yeah, I had shared it with him at a mastermind that we were at like a year and a half ago. And so I, I think that there's so much possibility there because. Anybody can come in and become the local media company, and and by doing that, you're you're building relationships with all the movers and shakers in the community. Like, oh, you have you have a you know, a successful business. I want to feature you on the show as you know one of Orlando's success stories or whatever.
0: Just out of curiosity, what, what would the Marietta, Georgia, what was his spin on it?
1: So, I mean, his was his is literally called Marietta Stories, and uh, and so he goes in and and interviews business owners about kind of their origin stories and how they got started and he hasn't shared anything with me from a from a statistic standpoint on on how you know how many people are listening but the beautiful part about that is you don't need a whole lot of volume if he can get a fraction of people that live in Marietta to listen to this because you know people in their town care about what's going on in their town and success stories in their town he can he can either monetize through you know selling advertising to local businesses that care about people that live in Marietta or he can sell his video production services to the people that he's interviewing on a show. Neither one of those required a massive amount of listenership to make it work.
0: I mean, let's be honest. It could just be one listener. It could be him.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. right. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I don't care if your grandma is the only one listening to the podcast. The relationship with your guests is so much more important that listenership just, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because eventually you'll, you know, you'll get somebody that wants to know what your listenership is, but it's just so irrelevant compared to the value of the relationship that you're building with your guests.
0: I've told guests who wanted to come online who asked like how many downloads. I'm like, I told them I haven't launched yet, but I'm like, if you're just concerned about downloads, then really we're not a fit for you anyways, yeah. honestly. It's about sharing your story, hopefully helping other people. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That makes so much sense with like any local people could do this. It seems like it makes a lot of sense.
1: What I, my experience has been that local shops just for some reason have a very antiquated way of thinking about marketing for the most part. And so to find somebody who gets it and who understands that by becoming a media company, it is the absolute way to do marketing in 2017. But you know, who knows? Like maybe local businesses in the next five, 10 years will start to come around to this. But the folks that I've talked to just have a very old school mindset around growth and marketing. And uh, and hopefully we, we start to see that tide changing soon.
0: appreciate you uh, becoming a Patreon member. Yeah, no problem, man. So what inspired you to become one? There was some content specifically, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy over at Mighty um, I was just like, I had to listen to the end of it. So it was, it was a good hook. It is so funny that you said that because when I literally just got done editing, the guy said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. I kept thinking that story was so good. I mean, I yeah. don't know if you thought the same thing, obviously.
1: The guy is, you can just tell he's a grinder, you know, and you want to root for a guy like that.
0: In closing, do you have anything you want to leave us with? And I guess we did not really get a chance to talk about, but your social media game is huge. I was just wondering, is there any type of like software or anything like that you would say is an easy way to go ahead and increase
1: your audience as well? Yeah, man. If you had asked me that question six months ago, I'd have rattled off a ton of different tools and all these different things that I've been doing over the years to, you know, I would have told you about Crowdfire, which is a platform that, you know, allows you to follow and unfollow people on Twitter. Doing that over the long haul has allowed me to amass a a decent sized following on Twitter. It's not a very engaged following at all because I think not a lot of people are tuning into Twitter and really caring about what's happening there anymore. So there are tools like Buffer that allow you to load up content. But the thing that I've realized recently that I would want the folks listening to this to understand is that the results that you get from social media are directly correlated to the amount of effort that you put into creating content on those platforms. And so, when i made the mental shift to go i'm going to stop just loading up articles into buffer and kind of setting it and forgetting it and i'm going to actually write thoughtful content on linkedin where i know my buyers are living i'm going to write 1300 character updates i'm going to do it 5 days a week and i'm going to think strategically about how can i how can i get people to engage with these posts that's really when i i've seen more traction in the last 30 days on LinkedIn than I have in the last three years of me being on the platform just because every day I'm challenging myself to put out thoughtful, relevant content that I think the people in my network would get value from. And as a result, that content gets shared. I had a post that kind of went mini viral the other day. It's got like 111,000 views on LinkedIn but it was a post that took me about an hour to craft and uh, and it was a longer update, but it wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. It took work. And I think at the end of the day, you just have to put in the work and you have to be willing to put out quality stuff. And tools and stuff can help, but I think focusing on really trying to create something that is of value, which takes effort and, and it's not a quick hack. But I think that's really the the key to it. If someone's looking for that
0: post, what's it called?
1: Yeah. So uh so if you just go to my LinkedIn profile, James Carberry, C A R B A R Y, you l- go back through my profile and go to look at my posts and I don't know when this will go live, but I published it about three weeks ago. And it's a post called what I call it. It's like how how to increase the reach of your content on LinkedIn. And it's not an article. That's something that I've learned. Articles on LinkedIn don't perform very well at all. But if you write status updates on LinkedIn, they perform exceptionally, (laughs) exceptionally well. So I've got an article that's living on my profile right now that's you know, why Gary V thinks every B two B brand should have a podcast. It's been on there for months and it's only been seen like 200 times. I write a status update and it gets viewed over 110 thousand times over the course of three weeks. So that's a little LinkedIn hack for anybody listening that that cares about that platform. But yeah, if you uh, if you go through and dig through my profile, you can you can find that post.
0: I'll just put that in the show notes so someone could see what you, exactly you're talking about if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone want to say thank you for you coming on
1: and want to say hey what's the best way for them to reach you yeah so they can they can email me james at sweetfishmedia.com. he said super active on linkedin james carberry twitter at james carberry and i love would love to to engage with any of your listeners that that want to chat thank you for coming on no problem man thank you so much for having me
0: hey there hope you enjoyed this episode with james carberry if you do we actually have an updated episode of where he is in his business today That's Patreon episode 19. So you can hear how his business has evolved over the last three years. So check out Patreon episode 19 again if you want to hear an update on where James is with his story. And it's another hour-long interview for you. So you have plenty of update information and see how businesses like his evolve over time.